Greetings, future lovers. This is Killstreak, episode 53. You are here with the click and clack of hack and slack. Wait, nope. <laughs> right. Greetings, future no, lovers. No, you can't start over. You gotta live with this. <laughs> Greetings, future lovers. This is Killstreak, episode 53. You are here with the click and clack of slash and hack. Dick and Mick Gooley, the Gooley brothers, are back again. Check it, correct it, let's begin. <laughs> party on, party people, make some noise. <laughs> um, I want to be clear that I'm not editing out that false start, Okay, so. that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> well, I'll leave both of them in, but uh, yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Mike? Oh, I'm all right. It's Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten right. into this groove of, get, of, of cutting it th- real close it's a close shave with our we record less than 24 hours before episode release and yeah remember we used to bank episodes (laughs) we don't do that anymore no we don't well it makes me feel alive you know it's kind of like standing in front of a a train coming down the tracks (laughs) towards you (laughs) really low stakes standing in front of a train yeah uh yeah well i uh I have a little bit of the uh, tummy grumbles going on. I, uh, oh, as a podcast that we are fond of, is uh, Nick Weiger is a, is a, uh, want to say uh, I'm a bit of a heat seeker, and I've been uh, uh-huh. tracking down some Nashville hot chicken sandwiches here around oh. Los Angeles, trying to do myself a little like um, sampling and ranking mm-hmm. of the hot chicken sandwiches around town. It's mm-hmm. not a common indulgence. It's pretty heavy. So I, yeah. I only do it like maybe once a month or so, but I had my sure. third one today. And uh, I love spice, but sometimes the spice, they don't love me the older I get. Yeah. No, I've experienced that with Nashville hot chicken. I, It's the only time I've ever had a shit that was painful three days after the fact. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had a, yeah, you know, not to get too graphic, but that was kind of my pre-show yeah. uh thing going on <laughs> it's like oh there yeah. it is there's the yeah burn. you don't have to get that graphic to be pretty clear which is just like if you know it's the way that it's spicy going in it can be spicy coming, coming out. out yep yep <laughs> yeah. but delicious the, both ways the, yeah which uh which sandwich is this that you're feeling the heat from this was uh the red chicks it's down the street from howlin rays so the three i've had so far are howlin mm-hmm. rays yeah um main chick which i know they have some locations in like san diego mm-hmm. and maybe uh, other place other states i'm not sure and then this was the red chicks um okay yeah and uh you know if you want my informal ranking so far I do. yeah it's a uh, howlin rays sure i think that's gonna be hard to beat that was the first one i had mm-hmm. and it has really that nice mix of spice and flavor because sometimes you know obviously yeah. when things get really spicy the spice overwhelms the flavor but howlin rays really does manage to like have a very tasty flavor that comes through even though it's pretty spicy mm-hmm. yeah and then uh main chick is interesting because the sandwiches are smaller so it kind of encourages you to order more in the yeah. uh the like coating is very akin to like a spicy nacho dorito Ooh, like that that dust that they have on it, which is not yeah. a bad thing. That's my that's my favorite kind of Dorito, actually. Mm. So I I would put that in number in the two slot. Okay. I'd be curious to try more of their stuff. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, Red Check is in three. I'll be clear, all of them delicious. But this mm. one was more 
it was slightly tangier, I think, than the other two. And then, um, but it did have that like, oh, this is heat over flavor. Um, but I, I, I should try. They have like tacos made of uh, spicy chicken, so I want to try those. I'd like to go back and do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. this one had the best coleslaw too, in my opinion. Okay. I uh, I would also recommend checking out um, Angry Chicks in in it's like kind of a little Armenia Los okay. Feliz area. Mm-hmm. Um, used to be called Angry Birds until they got sued. Um, oh, really? <laughs> they literally had wow. They literally had an Angry Bird uh, logo. Oh <laughs> wow. Just, they are just going for it. Uh, so, <laughs> gotta respect the balls. Uh, yeah, they're kind of doing a Dave's hot chicken thing. Dave's is kind of the agreed upon uh, number two in in Los Angeles after Howlin' Ray's, I think. Yeah, that's that's on the list to try next. Yeah, but the other one worth checking out is Hotville in, in Crenshaw, because that, uh, that is one of the, I think it's the daughter of the owner of Prince's Hot Chicken in Nashville. Oh shit! Um, I mean, yeah, that's so got to be on. That one's got an actual Nashville pedigree. The only one in LA that I know of. Not yeah. Howlin' Ray's. I mean, Johnny Ray's own knows what he's doing. He definitely he makes that he makes that sandwich and that chicken with a lot of respect to the uh, originators. But anyways, we digress. <laughs> oh, I have one more thing to say, which is, oh, yeah, of course. you know, the restaurant. It used to be in Los Feliz, the neighborhood that Mike and I lived around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cougart. Cougar. <laughs> you, you're, yeah. you're familiar with Cougar, right? Closed, well, since you've been gone, they've closed, and mm. replacing it is a place called Hot Chicos. <laughs> so that's also a hot chicken place, which I think Good just Lord. just having been in the Cougart space, I, I have to check out. <laughs> Cougart was always a funny ass name. I'll it was that. a funny ass name. <laughs> well, um, I, yeah, I digress. I, yeah, deeply, but you know what? I feel like the people who listen to this podcast, they're really just here to to listen to you and me shoot the shit, right, buddy? Yeah, man. Yeah. Shoot that um, spicy burning shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also wanted to shout out, uh, we don't do a lot of media diet stuff, but mm-hmm. um, I, want, I, I want credit for having watched a new horror movie oh, last nice. night. I texted you, mm-hmm. uh, Ken and I watched Possessor. Yeah, um, what'd you think? Brandon Cronenberg film. I thought it was good. Yeah, it's good. I liked I it. I thought, yeah, yeah, I thought it was um, deserving of, it deserves a, a look. People should watch it. It is mm-hmm. so violent. Um, mm-hmm. Profoundly so. I would say, did, well, go ahead, where are you going to? Oh, did you watch the unrated version? I can't imagine that the version I watched... I can't imagine that there is a gorier version than that. I wonder, did you watch it on iTunes? No, I watched it on Hulu. Okay, then that is the one I watched as well. Okay. Okay. That is the and R-rated version. I think wait, on iTunes they have the unrated version. You gotta be fucking kidding I'm me. pretty sure, because uh, I had heard somebody say that like the R-rated was even... Uh, too much was them. difficult to watch yeah yeah there's but it's I, i'm guessing maybe just it lingers on the violence a little bit more in the other sure person. sure yeah, there's the some same. really crazy realistic yeah. violence yeah it's you know if you want to talk about cronenberg i think it's it's reminiscent of a history of violence i would say in the yeah, way yeah yeah that that movie handles things um but yeah, I mean, you know, it's I'm not going to say it's better than 
Cronenberg senior, but um, but it was good, and I'm glad I watched it, and I'll maybe check out his last movie. Before yeah, I, I I have to check out the last one. I never I never watched it. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I I haven't really had much time to watch anything. In fact, I was even dreading having to watch. I, I've been in a weird headspace the past couple weeks. For some mm. reason, I have a very large sense of dread about covering the alien series and i don't know where that's coming from huh uh i don't I, maybe it's the the pressure because this is such a big series you know sure. what I mean? um, yeah. so yeah we're covering alien obviously you can <laughs> tell by the title of the episode yeah i want to um, dig into this more though this is very interesting to me yeah and i think also like aliens actually i'm dreading a little bit more because i think it's just going to be a hard like just really logistically i think it's going to be a harder movie to take notes for this one actually turned out to be pretty like might be my least amount of notes because Mm -hmm. it is there are long sequences of walking down hallways which makes it sound boring i I think (laughs) this is a boring this is a movie that just taking notes on it like uh, plot notes on it does it a disservice because it's mm-hmm. so much more than that. Um, yeah, um, but I, and I know what you're saying about aliens because recapping an action movie is mm-hmm. is is a tall order. Um, because, a long you know, one too. Just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just because there's so many things that happen visually. Yeah, action that unfolds without dialogue, without true plot that that can be very hard to uh, to track. But Aliens is also one of those movies that, like, I expect people to have seen. Mm-hmm. And and if not, if you're listening this week and you haven't seen Aliens, like fucking watch Aliens. Don't listen yeah. to this podcast without watching it. So or not, Alien. Not yeah, the, if you haven't seen yeah. either of these two movies, uh, <laughs> just stop it. Yeah. They, they're so much better than this podcast. <laughs> just do that instead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm happy. We're talking about it. I'm happy to break the the seal on the blood and guts check because this, this is another no-brainer. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is a movie that is uh, very much like last last series of texas chance this is one of the best movies ever made. well see like, i think that's where you and i uh d- um differ from each other because i mm. in my opinion this is a classic example of a future great director who's young and just kind of in mm. over his head and uh, you know give me a an exodus gods and kings or a good year <laughs> or robin hood any day, even a kingdom of heaven at any day of the week. Uh, you heard it here first. Ridley whiffed it on this one. Eric did this to me. This is the second time he's pulled this bit on me. He did this to me over text last night and I bought it mm-hmm. for like, and for like 60 seconds, I was like freaking out. <laughs> yeah, Mike was like, you just shook me to my core because I texted him that I was watching it. I'm like, this movie fucking sucks. <laughs> And then it was like kind of quiet. He's like, wait, are you serious? It just really like <laughs> it, it threw everything that I thought I knew into sharp relief. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> are there people who don't think this is a great movie? That's what I was wondering, too, actually. Like, is there <laughs> people who hate Alien? I, uh, you know, obviously, I was being facetious. This is mm-hmm. probably the best movie, just movie, full stop, mm-hmm. not even horror movie that will probably we may ever cover. Yeah. Other than maybe like The Exorcist or something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, I guess it, you know, it all depends on what floats your boat, but you're sitting here and you're listening to a horror podcast, so if if that is at least a genre that you enjoy, then the idea that you could watch this movie and not uh, appreciate it is 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 mind blowing. Yeah, me. yeah, uh, um, yeah. What else? I mean, I don't know. What's your What's your relationship? This is. It's so hard for me to even try to go back to a time before I knew this this series, this yeah. franchise. What do, you, what do you remember from the early days? I don't remember the first time I watched it. Um, mm-hmm. So that leads me to believe I was pretty young, probably. I yeah. think this was just in, like, around the time of, like, me becoming obsessed with movies and just reading lists of the best movies of all time and, and this piquing my interest in watching it. <clears throat> like I said, I, don't, mm-hmm. I, I really don't remember the first time I watched it. But I've seen it a ton of times since. Um, yeah. I will say, though, it seems to me like you are more of an alien series obsessive than I ever was. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. I love aliens. Yeah. But then I think I've only seen alien three once and mm-hmm. then resurrection once okay. Prometheus once. And I never saw covenant. Gotcha. Um, but you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is like one of your series. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, I have a deep, appreciation for it mm-hmm. um i've seen i mean i've seen all of them multiple times um with the exception i think alien versus predator and alien versus predator requiem i've only seen once each <laughs> um but i don't really even consider those to be canon as we discussed last week and yeah we will continue to sort out as we cover these but yeah i mean i think that is something that plenty of people have talked about but is worth just mentioning right at the top here this is one of the coolest franchises that exists in terms of, regardless of the quality of the film that they ultimately turned in, the directors involved. Yeah. And the fact that for the first four films, it's a different director every time. And and a different each, visionary director, too. Absolutely. Each one of those directors in their own right, like you said, is an artist, a visionary, someone noteworthy, someone who will go down in history, you know, as as a meaningful and important director of movies, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have Ridley Scott here. Next week we'll have James Cameron, mm-hmm. Alien 3, David Fincher, and then Resurrection is Jean-Pierre Genet. And then Ridley Scott comes back, right? And does yeah. two more movies. So there are no bad directors in this series. Are there bad movies? Maybe. We'll find out, but... Yeah, yeah. Except at least, for AVP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen Alien vs Predator, which is uh, seems because that was a movie I was actually like really looking forward to. I bought into the hype because actually, mm-hmm. so Predator. You know, it's only two movies. It's easy to say this. Right. Uh, Predator was well, kind of like my series, and I love well, Alien. There's four of them now. There's four of them now. I haven't seen though, but like yeah. in the time when like Alien Three was coming out, right? Um, and then you know the other ones came out recently. Oh no no! Resurrection, I guess, was in the nineties. Was that nineties? Yeah, late late. It's like ninety nine or something. I think yeah. Uh, but the that scene in Predator Two when he's polishing the alien skull like got me fucking rock hard. <laughs> 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 so I was really looking forward to Alien versus Predator. Yeah. Whoa! I just activated Siri. She was transcribing everything I said. She heard you talking <laughs> she about heard getting me say, rock, got hard rock hard. Rock and- hard. I have some <laughs> results for you. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, incognito is not working the way you hoped, huh? No. <laughs> um, um, well, it's funny you mentioned getting rock hard because um, <laughs> this this is a movie and to some degree a franchise, but I would say that this movie more so than any of the others. This is a, I don't want to call it a horny movie because mm. it's not it's not real sexy. No, but good lord, is it steeped to the gills in sexual imagery of yeah. ev- of every kind? Yeah. Um. Oh God, and especially like, not to get super fucking pervy, but that mm. last scene with Sigourney Weaver in her tiny little <laughs> underwear. Holy shit! Well, that, that is a funny thing to jump straight to because I mean it is like a movie co- just completely full of like oh yeah birth everything's fucking, a, everything's like, a vagina and everything's a penis yeah penetration <laughs> metaphors everything yes but yes also Sigourney Weaver in her underwear although <laughs> I will say that I recognize um, some of my own ancestry when I see it because that is. I will say that that's a butt that would not fly in 2020. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> that is, yeah, that would not be a hit on on Instagram or no, yeah, TikTok. You, T- TikTok. I guess TikTok. Now. You're yeah. right. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, I'm flat sure. butts unite. Me and Sigourney Weaver. Um, <laughs> uh, how about this though? I was I was doing some research. My mind completely blown. I just assumed that Sigourney Weaver had to have been a model before she mm-hmm. got into acting. No, always always an actress. No what? modeling, as far as I can tell. I mean, probably she did some after she started acting and, you know, like, you know, paid advertisement stuff and that sort of thing, but Right. Where was what was her big start? Was this really? It was this. I mean, she, okay, yeah. She's in Annie Hall, I think, right. in a small role. Um, but this is her first big role. Yeah. Um, and it's, this is a story that is only semi-confirmed, but apparently, you know, supposedly Veronica Cartwright, who plays Lambert, was originally, at least she was under the impression that she was going to get the lead role in this. Okay. Um, and, uh, Sigourney Weaver auditioned late, um... And when, uh, you know, everyone saw her, they were like, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> this, this is, <laughs> is going to, this is going to, this is, this will do, this will do pig. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. But anyways, I, um, and there was maybe a little bit of bad blood. I don't know. I think Veronica Cartwright is great in her part. Me and, too. I can't imagine her as Ripley. But yeah, I think and it's more Ripley, a credit to Sigourney Weaver than it is a knock against her acting skills. Yeah. I mean, Sigourney Weaver created this character. Um, and there's some interesting sort of tidbits about the way the movie came together that like, that really is true because the thing is that, you know, this is one of those cases where the right, all of the writers and there's a whole fucking story with the writers too. There's two pairs of writers that fought over who did what and who gets credit for what. Mm -hmm. But We'll cover that in a second. But the thing is, like, they wrote very loose dialogue, like, and it was not anything particularly impressive. And when Sigourney Weaver tells the story of going to audition for this, you know, she basically said that she was a theater actor. She had gone through theater school and had been doing lots of stage stuff. And and she came in 
for this audition kind of generally unimpressed with the idea of doing a sci-fi movie. And they'd had trouble casting the role because for the same reasons, Mm -hmm. like, you know, they wanted a serious actor to play this role. And a lot of the women that they were talking to were just like, yeah, I don't want to be in like a B sci-fi horror. Right. 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 So Sigourney Weaver comes in with that sort of attitude and basically gets in the room um, and tells them like, yeah, there's, there's like not much to these characters. Like there's, and, and essentially says like, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. Maybe I'm sabotaging my audition, but like in theater, this is how we talk about things. Like I've worked with important playwrights and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess what Ridley Scott told her, it's like, yeah, uh, we know. And that's why we're, you know, trying to cast some really solid actors for these parts to fill out these roles. And a lot of the, the dialogue and the conversations that the characters have in the movie are largely improvised. Um, That's you know. cool. I, yeah. I was, the, I thought I had while taking notes on it was like, this is a great movie. It's, it's beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. But the script, although is, t- you know, it's tight plot wise, but mm-hmm. there's, it's kind of just tapping into what you're saying. There's not much happening in the dialogue yeah. that that would make you read this and be like, this is going to be a great fucking movie. And it kind of mm-hmm. shows that like that adage of like, you can make a bad movie out of a great script, but you can't make a great script, a great movie out of a bad script. Mm-hmm. Like that's might not be the case, especially here. Cause like the script on paper with the characters is nothing to write home yeah. about, but like in execution, it just yeah. fucking sings. Well, I think I think what the script has, regardless of of what the let's say the director and the actors are bringing to it, is is great ideas. Yeah, um, and that's and that is its strength. Its strength is in the in not necessarily in the plot as it moves from point A to B to C, but in terms of just like the images that it conjures up, and and obviously like Ridley Scott and the design team for this movie are so responsible for the literal imagery but just these ideas so we should mention that dan o'bannon who kicked off this podcast with return of the living dead right yeah um he was the co-writer of the original script with a guy named ronald shusett and like the ideas that they brought into this i think there are a ton of um you know really archetypal great horror movie ideas here. Mm-hmm. And that's what the script has is it, is it has these things like the distress signal uh, from an abandoned ship. And then this idea of alien impregnation, almost like the chest burster that's in the script, like mm-hmm. all of these things and setting this up so that it, it ultimately turns into a slasher movie. Yeah. You know? It's, it's essentially a slasher movie on a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of those things, I think, deserve a lot of credit but i think you're right like when we when we think about scripts i think we we immediately jump to like dialogue as like such a crucial part of a good script yeah for me i i guess i'm speaking on like character development mm-hmm. um which you, you're saying a lot of the a lot of the dialogue was improvised yeah and they filled it out with great actors who would bring something specific to what might be a more general yeah. character yeah, and you're kind of rolling the dice because that's a mm-hmm. technique that can backfire so fast. And I would say that it fails more often than not. I think usually when you hear, oh, well, we just kind of got there and said, we'll figure it out. 
Yeah. And, you know, you give the actors all this leeway to just kind of do what they want. Like, that is not necessarily a recipe for success. But. No. The cast of this movie. um, This has to be the best cast of anything we've covered, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think back. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Oh, no. I think we said the same thing about another movie. uh, But I'm blanking on what that could possibly be. Yeah, I think you're right. Like John Hurt, Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt. Well, like, so think about it this way: you have Ian Holm. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven principles, and and the alien, and the guy his name's Balaji Badejo, who uh, who who is in the alien suit, also does a great physical acting mm-hmm. job, right? But everybody with a line in this movie is a legitimate actor mm-hmm. who had a lifelong career in motion pictures right yeah oh like, i think we said it about bram stoker's dracula this is a better this is a better i think cast. so i think so Br- bram stoker's dracula has some high highs but it also you know there are some swings and misses in there and this is this is i mean it's tighter it's a tighter group right it almost is like the cast of a play in some respects yeah um but yeah from the top to the bottom everybody here is doing good believable work i think dude um i was blown away this viewing by ian holm and how how menacing he is almost immediately and they're Mm -hmm. doing he's not doing anything that would he's not mustache twirling or right but there's one shot you know i'll sure i'll point it out when it happens in the Mm -hmm. plot there's one shot where they're going when they're going to the alien's planet they're like Mm -hmm. getting off the ship walking on the planet where he's just sitting in a chair looking yeah. and you're, you're like, wow, something's up with this fucking guy. Something's up yeah. with this guy. Um, yeah, it's great. I think, I think that one of the most menacing shots in this entire movie is just the close up on his face mm-hmm. during the chest burster scene, right when, uh, Kane starts to get sick. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because there is a long hold on his face, and it just in this moment, you know that he knows to some degree what is going to happen, yeah. or why, or what is happening. He may not know exactly how this is going to sort out, but like he, you realize in this instant that like he is not surprised by what yeah. is going on, and he is also not upset by it. Yeah, right. And yeah, I think. It's such a, a fantastic performance. The way he uses his very specific physicality. He's smaller than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Sigourney Weaver is five foot ten. You know, like she she legitimately has like two or three inches on him. Mm-hmm. And but he just plays he the way he plays it. He's so menacing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like it's, it's really it's great. His posture like his chest out kind of posture. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, when it's revealed what he is, like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Right. But, like, it's funny. I always get this movie, the cast of this movie and the cast of Aliens confused in my head. And I'm mm-hmm. like, which, before I end up, you know, <laughs> obviously that gets sorted out immediately when, right. when it starts to roll. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, which one has Bishop in it? And which one has uh, Ian, Ian Holm? Um, uh, which is to say... I don't think there was ever a time when I watched this movie that I, it was a, it was a, a a twist that he's the android. Mm-hmm. I think I always knew that, even from clips of like, you know, sure. AFI's a hundred best movies. I think they showed the clip of him like talking with like the fucking milk coming out of his mouth, right? Um, where so I, I always yeah, knew that that was the case, but it still does 
take me by surprise every time mm-hmm. just, just based on his performance yeah yeah i i'm with you 100 percent uh because he really does like yeah it's it's shocking even when you know what's coming mm-hmm. um and i mean just like like i said there's seven people so just mention all of them briefly right tom yep. scarrett plays the captain dallas uh i mean he's just like a classic fucking leading man type which and- is a reference to jason uh for, uh jason x the the marine in there is named <laughs> Dallas, so I think uh. Ridley Scott, Dan O'Bannon, they got their mm-hmm. you know they're paying homage to that film. Yeah, I like that. I I, I respect that. And <laughs> you know, so another thing about this script is it is it, it is very deliberate that in the original version that O'Bannon and Shusett wrote, um, they made all of the the characters uh, essentially asexual or just un, mm. of, of undetermined sexuality and gender, right? Um, and they gave them all these names, Dallas, Ripley, Lambert, Parker, Kane, right? They're all just last names or in the case of like Ash, you know, you have a first name, but it's, you know, non-gendered essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wrote the script that way. And, you know, something that I think... Most people give Ridley Scott a lot of credit for um, is the decision to to essentially say in casting that they wanted a woman for Ripley, mm. um, which was not something that O'Bannon says is not something that he had considered when he wrote when they wrote the script. That was not oh, their plan. Their plan was to just keep keep gender out of it. Um, and Scott was the one who was like, yeah, well, let's get we want to get like a strong female lead for this movie. And I also think it's genius to cast somebody like Tom Skerritt as Dallas. Because, again, that's one of those things. You talk about Ash. Imagine watching this movie for the first time, and it's 1979, and you see Tom Skerritt, right? Who's a somewhat established actor, and he's, like, clearly a leading man type. Yeah. And then Sigourney Weaver. And, you know, this is before this idea of the final girl in horror movies has been, like, really strongly established. And I assume that a lot of people are proceeding into this movie thinking, yeah, Tom Skerritt's going to be, you know, the, the guy, right? That's a great point. That's a great, I I hadn't considered that. I was trying to think of other examples of movies where that happens, where you're like, Oh, I thought this was going to be the Mm -hmm. main character. Scream. (laughs) Scream. Yeah. Yeah. Screams. But, uh, the, the, The only example I can think of is a dumb one. It's executive decision. I knew <laughs> Did you, you know I was going to say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was shocking to me when I watched it when I was a kid. <laughs> it's also funny because, yeah, Seagal dies in such a stupid, like, he just, his body just goes flying and it's yeah. like, and he's dead. Uh, <laughs> pretty funny stuff. Um, yeah. But a lot of guys uh, in this cast, uh, yeah, you mentioned John Hurt. It's like, you know, John Hurt's like an award-winning actor, right? Yeah. Ian Holm as well. Um, Yafit Koto and Harry Dean Stanton are great as like the the sort of roughnecks, you know? The Harry uh, Dean. I love Harry Dean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you really can't go wrong with this. And then Veronica Cartwright, mm-hmm. like, she plays, regardless of what she feels about the fact that she didn't get the lead, and uh, apparently she doesn't love the sort of general weakness of Lambert's character, but Christ, she plays it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does this sort of um, heightened thing 
the the other the other movie that I really love her performance in is The Witches of Eastwick. Sure. Um where she has the she has the crazy scene of vomiting cherry pits that Right, like, right. But like she has one of the most fun arcs in that movie. She kind of just slowly goes insane as she's being essentially tortured by the devil, right? And yeah, I mean, she plays like a similar, uh, like a subtler version of that, but she kind of loses it to a certain degree, um, never fully, but she like plays that fear mm-hmm. so well, I think, um, and really kind of like heightens the whole feeling of the movie. I just like everybody in this is great, I think. I agree, man. What, what else do you love about this movie, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> well, we touched on it, but this movie is visually stunning. Yeah. Every. I texted Mike, I'm like, we can't, while I'm doing the recap, we can't keep pointing out how cool this scene looks. <laughs> <laughs> we can't a few times. But almost every shot is just a stunner. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's more than one thing. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not just, you know, some movies have amazing cinematography and, and that's enough to just say, like, this is a movie that looks beautiful because it's shot so well. And that's true. Like, anybody who knows the career of Ridley Scott... You know, and he has worked with, you know, multiple uh, cinematographers over the course of his career. But like he brings it's clearly something that he cares about. And he he curates in a way that his movies tend to look gorgeous, Mm -hmm. good or bad, like all the shitty movies that Eric rattled off at the top of the podcast. (laughs) Most of those movies still look really good. Right. You know, right. And and I will say we will eventually get to Prometheus and, and Alien Covenant. And they certainly have. There, there will be things to take issue with in those movies. I don't think the way they look is going to be a big one. I think that those... No, no. Those are beautiful-looking movies, right? Yeah, I never saw Covenant, but Prometheus is another stunning-looking movie. It's, it's mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, but in addition to that, so everybody who bothered, who knows anything about this movie and about this series knows H.R. Giger, right? And that... yeah that he was such a creative force. But the one of the coolest things that I learned going deeper into this movie is that very deliberately, Giger is only part of the design effort for this movie, for, for, for like the, the movie. So O'Bannon brought Giger in essentially. Both he and Ridley Scott really loved his paintings, which not coincidentally are very sexual. Yes. Um, terrifying, but also very phallic, very vaginal. And so Giger designed the alien, designed the facehugger, the chest burster. He also designed the derelict ship, right? Mm-hmm. And the what is referred to often as the space jockey or the pilot, which we I later learned. I couldn't think of that name. Yes, space jockey. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the crew called it. In the script, it's referred to as the pilot. So canon, it's like the pilot. But then later on... In Prometheus, we learn that the technical name for this species is the engineers. Right. Um, and we'll get to that later on. So Giger does all that stuff, but then they deliberately decided to have a different uh, sort of visual appearance, right, for the Nostromo, which is a completely different kind of spaceship. Right. It's a mining um, ship. It's very industrial. Yeah. Yeah, so in that case, um, they've got, so they have a completely different, cr- not necessarily crew of people, but a different set designer 
um, whose name is escaping me, and I feel terrible, so I'm going to pull it in a second. But because he did, I mean, I got to say, the design of the Nostromo is it's like a fucking wet dream, like in terms mm-hmm. of the way they use, like already deliberately using sort of outdated technology. Yeah. Right? Oh my God. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. Like the tech in this movie is. I love uh, I'm a fetishist for like old movies that try to predict what the future computer technology is going to look mm-hmm. like and it's never right but it's so cool in this movie like the green text on the screen that clickety clackety keyboard like oh, the yes, letters being projected onto their stuff, faces yeah. yeah it's great yeah um, and no sorry go ahead oh I wanted to call out to circle back quickly to the alien which mm. is uh, my son walked out while we were like, you know, he should have been in bed, but he goes pee 5,000 <laughs> times before he goes to sleep. Right. Um, he was like, what are you watching? <laughs> and I was like, alien. He's like, I was explaining to him what it was about. It's like, can I see the alien? So I showed him a picture and even mm-hmm. he was like, oh yeah, I've seen that before. <laughs> like in a video, I don't know, the Roblox in, game YouTube or something. Or, yeah, Minecraft or something. And yeah. it's like, has there been a cooler looking design for an alien in anything? Or monster? I'll I'll even take it that it it might be the coolest looking creature design ever. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I think so. I cuz cuz the other thing I'll say is like this isn't this isn't quite the same thing as what you're talking about with your son, but before I knew, when I was young enough that I had seen Alien, but I didn't really know who H.R. Giger was. Like, the first sure. time I saw some Giger artwork, like, from Necronomicon, like, his, uh, you know, his book that he had released. Yeah. I was like, well, that looks just like the Alien. Alien, yeah. <laughs> like, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, immediately. It's so distinctive. And, I mean, it is funny because I, it's, it's his, it's his art in a nutshell, right? Mm-hmm. Like obviously it's an amazing character, but it also I the way you think about it is it's like yeah, he only was ever going to get to do this once. Once mm-hmm. he once he designed something cuz it's cuz so much of what that alien looks like is just is the heart of his artwork. If you look at what he had been doing for the last 10, 15, 20 years before um this movie was made, it's mm-hmm. like it's the culmination in in terms of like if you were to port that over to film, right? So it's like it's kind of like you get one shot and and you know, it's forever branded that way, but it's it's it was the perfect way to use it, I think. Um also I want to touch on something else you said. I know we're going long in this first segment, but who cares? It's fucking alien. <laughs> we're talking about alien. Um yeah. I think it's brilliant they had two different set des- two different des- design teams to do mm-hmm. the Nostromo and all the alien stuff because mm-hmm. when you see that alien planet for the first time and you, you see the interior of that ship it's terrifying it's almost like an hp lovecraft like unimaginable yeah. terror because it's so different and so strange and it doesn't really the angles don't compute in your head um it, but it, you know the angle in this case it's like very organic looking uh and smooth and slimy and mm-hmm. <laughs> creepy um and then c- juxtaposing that with like the very I say industrial and practicality of the Nostromo. Mm-hmm. It's just so like, it feels like an alien planet. It feels like something right. completely unearthly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. That, yeah. And I think brilliant it, move. I think that that, that technique that you're talking about really sums up 
one of the style things that really works for this movie. And it's I, I think it's cool because, you know, in an interview, when you read about the the name changed many times. Um, Star Beast, I think, was a popular one for a long that was attached to the script for a long time. Oh. And when they finally settled on Alien, you know, one of the reasons that they, the, the various people involved in the production, you know, mention is like, well, it's a great title because it works as both the sort of noun describing the creature, but also yeah. it's an adjective, right? Like that, this feeling of things being alien or strange, you know, yeah. and I think that what you're talking about really accomplishes that in a visual way Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it's to go back to lovecraft really briefly mm -hmm. um, that's not an accident by the way that's that's something that they that multiple people talk about as being an influence on this movie and you can tell it you could tell lovecraft's uh influence and also kubrick with 2001 seems Mm -hmm. like it would be an obvious uh um influence on this movie but with uh you know, they, you hear this term cosmic horror, and this is literally in the cosmos, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not, not exactly what I mean. But it, it almost has this eldritch cosmic horror aspect to it, which I, yeah, that's the only kind of stuff that really scares me mm-hmm. movie wise. In like, you know, H.P. Lovecraft for all of his prob- problems, and you know, he guy was a virulent racist, yeah, but his books actually do scare me in, in things yeah. in, in things that are influenced by him are kind of one of the only things that do actually scare me because this unknowable completely foreign right. thing is just i don't know there's something about it that really taps into something in you maybe yeah. it's my own racism no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i'm just totally kidding and yeah just you being a racist new englander yeah, um. yeah just <laughs> But uh, even uh, yeah. it's it's so funny. Like even like the uh, whatever. I don't want to get into Lovecraft, but I think even like the uh, the aquaticness of them is like mm-hmm. was something. Wasn't it like against like Asians or something like that because they ate a lot of seafood or something? I think it, you're. I think I've heard that. It's yeah. like their like their houses smelled like seafood or something, <laughs> and that was just like so disturbing to old HP. <laughs> crazy (laughs) really threw him for a loop yeah Yeah. um but yeah i think i think you're right and it's and it's interesting for me to think about as a young person seeing this movie for the first time like all the things that stuck with me are the things you would expect like the the egg opening the face hugger the chest bursting scene and then the alien itself right and and in my mind when i you know i don't know if you're this way but like when i think about something that i haven't seen in a long time it's usually just one or two or three images come to mind and yes and it's kind of like yeah that summarizes and for a long time my remembrance of this movie was like yeah ripley stalking being stalked around the scary sweaty spaceship by the alien right mm-hmm. but it's like now when i come back to it the parts that really hit me and stick with me are these scenes that you're talking about. The ones on the derelict spaceship when they go down to the planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, that discovery of the of the space jockey and then descending when Kane descends into that lower chamber. Mm-hmm. For my money, that might be one of the coolest scenes in this entire yeah, movie. Yeah, it's terrifying you know? too. Yeah. Um, I same exactly the same. It only it was only recently. Because I always loved this movie, but it was only recently when, like, maybe 10 years ago, 
it was actually when I was living in Los Feliz, home of Cougar <laughs> and Hot Chico is now. Um, where I just ended up like getting super high and watching it by myself, mm. or uh, and then just being floored, just like picking up on other things that I hadn't really paid attention to, and it was primarily the aesthetic of the movie. I'm like, this is everything in this. Every shot is fucking gorgeous. Like it, yeah. the design is so impressive. Anyway, I'm repeating myself. Um, there was one other thing that I well, fuck. I lost it. Whatever, doesn't matter. It'll come back <laughs> well, to me. Well, let's take a break. Let's come back and let's just jump into the movie itself. And I mean, I don't know. Everyone should have seen this movie. Yeah, I say we don't need to sweat the small stuff. Let's just talk through it. And 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 you know, I remember what it was. Do you remember? Did you have the alien action figures? The aliens action figures that were I definitely around? had. S- uh, interacted with one. I never. I don't think I ever owned one, but somebody else did. What a time to be alive! To be a young <laughs> person in that time when they're making toys based off of R-rated horror and action movies, and yeah. those toys were fucking sweet. They were so detailed and cool. And they had different <laughs> kinds of xenomorphs. It was so yeah. awesome. And anyway, they probably cost that was like what I to say. they probably cost like six bucks, right? <laughs> probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and recap this movie. Okay. At the start, we meet Elliot and his family. Oh, no, actually, you, you know, I'm sorry. I, I, uh, I made a mistake. Uh, it's, you see this alien walking through the woods, and uh, this, his ship has landed. All of his mates are kind of poking around in the woods. And this one alien... He's munching on. To find out. He's munching on some Reese's pieces. Reese's pieces. He gets. He wanders too far from the ship. They got to take off. Uh, but he's too far away. They end up taking off without him. He gets. <laughs> there's like a, right. <laughs> there's a bunch of people. You know what? Just the just uh, to run with your dumb bit. There's like, <laughs> how many people do you think if you put a gun to their head be like? What's better, E.T. or Alien? I feel like half of all people are saying E.T., and that's crazy. I love E.T. I was compared to E.T. as a newborn because <laughs> I was I was born almost three months premature. Oh, my God. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was two and a half pounds when I was born uh-huh. and, you know, still looking like a fucking fetus. Sure. <laughs> because I essentially was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the nurses, E.T. had just come out. Okay. And the nurses affectionately, I hope affectionately, called me E.T. Because I had a giant fucking head and weird little droopy skinny body. It wasn't affectionate. They hated you. They were like, <laughs> oh, fuck. I hope this E.T. E.T. looking motherfucker dies soon. Yeah, I almost died a lot of times, apparently. <laughs> I, anyway. I can't, I can't conceive of any way in which that's informed your current neuroses, but yeah. it's neither <laughs> yeah. here nor there. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I know it. It really does all stem back to that. And my son is named Elliot after. Uh, um, I mean, partly after Elliot from ET, mm. also Elliot Smith. Hopefully, he has a better <laughs> a better outcome than Elliot Smith. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. Uh, anyway, so we're talking about Alien here uh-huh. on the Nostromo mining vehicle, kind of going down its empty hallways. Uh, it's really cool shots. The uh, monitor fires up in like the control hub. The lights start coming on, and then we see the stasis chamber where where the whole crew is being kept. They're in yeah. they're in um, what's it called? Hypersleep? What's it called? Yeah, I think it's called hypersleep. 
Um, in hypersleep. Yeah. Also, before we get, we before we get too far away, I just want to do a quick shout out to the dope opening titles. Uh, oh, did, oh yes. Sorry, I wrote that and I skipped over. Yeah, those opening titles are so fucking cool. Yeah, it's just like what it's like little pieces of the of the letters just appearing and like, yeah, like sl- credits are rolling in like little angles mm-hmm. of the letters are just like slowly populating the screen until it spells out alien it's really cool yeah uh so then the the lights come on the the stasis chambers open up revealing the sleeping crew all in their skivvies then we uh the crew's eating and laughing kane i feel dead (laughs) uh what's uh parker parker uh anyone ever tell you you look dead um then the communications sound whatever the communications beeps dallas mother wants to talk to you i love it's i love that the ship like the intelligence Mm -hmm. on the ship is called mother it's just one of the countless birth death sex kind of uh yeah it's a mother right it's a it's all about everything's about sex and reproduction in this movie oh hell yeah uh, so Tom Skerritt plays Dallas. He's like the head of the, he's the captain of the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes down to sort of the, the interior brain center for the ship where he can interact with mother. This might be my AI. favorite set besides, so cool. besides the derelict ship stuff besides the, yeah, like just this fucking, this like little igloo shaped room filled with blinking lights. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's, I love it. The analog technology in this movie is so great. And I want to say that part of the reason I think it is so cool looking and timeless feeling is because even then in 1979, they said, we want to make it, we're not trying to make it feel too futuristic. They like wanted mm. to make it feel like this was a ship that was mostly made out of existing technology. That it was just That's cool. Yeah. That it was just like, yeah, it's however. Because, again, one of the themes of this movie that I think really sings is this idea that even though it's, like, hundreds of years in the future, like, all the same bullshit problems are still around. It's, like, your your awful company that you work for, you're not getting your bonus, like, all of the technology is just, like, I don't know, it looks like somebody slapped together a bunch of 1975 tech and made a spaceship out of it. Yeah. It's, like, I think that all really works. What's the story, mother? Uh, Lambert is in like the other end of the ship, kind of the uh, the what do they call it? The cockpit. <laughs> Everything's uh, about she... sex. Everything's about reproduction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's realizing that Earth is nowhere to be found. They thought they were going to be woken up when they're approaching Earth. They're coming back from whatever their mission was, whatever planet their mission was on, mining. So it's to sleep the whole time, and then they'll they'll be back home. No, we're not even in our system right now. So they they try to call out to get some clarification. No answer. They're too far away. And um, what the hell are we doing out here? So then Dallas comes back from Mother, gives them the lowdown. Some of you may have figured out we're not home. We're only halfway there. Uh, so mother had stopped them. They intercepted a transmission that they have to check out 
it might be an SOS. It's this beacon on a planet. Mm-hmm. And contractually, they're obligated to stop. Parker, who's like kind of the um, the voice of the worker in this movie, he's always asking, uh, <clears throat> always asking about his bonus. And like, you know, am I, am I still going to get my shares from this? Like, he doesn't really want to put in any extra work, mm-hmm. which rightfully so. It's a fucking heartless corporation that's running yeah. his life. Um, so he he puts up a stink. And they're like, well, you know, there's a clause in your contract that if you don't go through this, you don't help us with this, you're going to forfeit all of your shares. So he's forced to uh, yeah. accompany them onto this planet. And not coincidentally, like watching this on uh, multiple rewatches, it's like this information is coming from Ash, who, like, we will slowly discover is is tied closer to the corporation than anyone else. Yeah. Do you think it's um it's purposeful that that Parker's a black man? Like for for this character, this this uh, this uh you know, kind of the the voice of the worker, the voice of the people. I think yeah, I mean it certainly could be. Uh I mean, I know that at least is somewhere that Ridley Scott you know, acknowledges that the casting of Yafit Kodo was like deliberate like they wanted a person of color in the cast. They didn't want it to just be all white. All white um, And yeah, whether it's like deliberate, like sort of playing off uh, the sort of the classism, the intersectionality of class and, and race, or, mm-hmm. or or if it's like some inherent, you know, racist classist stuff on behalf of the casting and the director where they're like, oh, the black guy's got to be a blue collar worker. Yeah, either way. Well, I, I would, I would, think maybe i'm just being forgiving that Mm -hmm. it would be the former rather than rather than the latter yeah at least that's the way i've i've taken it um so they get to the planet with the sos it looks awesome like it's like a kind of a jupiter i'm sorry a saturny looking planet Mm -hmm. with a ring all the moons are like lined up yeah do you want to hear something fucking dope about this yeah. So this, I'll just mention this up front. I won't. I won't belabor this point over and over. But similarly to Bram Stoker's Dracula, this is a movie that is almost entirely done with practical special effects. There's like one mm. mat. Fo- there's like one mat in this entire movie. Um, so these planets, this like the way they did this planet is it is it is like it's it's some double exposure stuff uh, to get like the spaceships in there, but otherwise they shot. It's just a giant sphere painted white. And then they filmed uh, a bunch of oils in like uh, a glass tub with like. Oh, like, like that old like hippie projector mm-hmm. thing. That, yeah, that's awesome. And then they projected that onto the glass or onto the white orb to like wow. give it the appearance of the swirling gas surface of the planet, which is and it you looks ne- so good. <laughs> That's the thing about like CG. CG looks cheap and like shit. This looks fucking awesome. Yeah. Like there's, you can't uh, knock any of the special effects in this movie. No. Everything looks good. Everything looks better than just whatever random sci fi movie you want to pull that's been made in the last five years. Like, oh, yeah. Almost every single bit of effects work in this is more impactful and, and, and just, yeah, I love it so much. So they get on the little like scout ship and they uh land on this total windswept hellscape planet <laughs> where like even the the atmosphere is 
as Ash describes, prime, primordial. Um, <clears throat> it's a rough landing. Doesn't look that rough, though. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe it was hard. I mean, every, all the ship stuff is like scale models that they had to shoot at like two and a half frames a second. Um, and so my suspicion was they just couldn't do any like really fast movement with any of the models. Yeah. So you just kind of had to take the word for it. You know? Yeah. Um, the engineers stay on board because they have to repair the ship because of that rough landing. Mm hmm. Meanwhile, and the engineers being Parker, Brett, and Ripley. And meanwhile, or, or she, what is Ripley's? Ripley is a navigator, I think. She's like the third in command. I know that. She is the warrant officer, which I don't know what that is. I'm looking it up. Huh. Um, just a junior commissioned officer. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what her role is. Interesting. I'm gonna look. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do some more research while you talk. Sure. Dallas, Kane, and Lambert head out to investigate the the beacon, and then we get that shot I was talking about with Ash in the cockpit. It's just this quiet shot where he's kind of backlit, so he's dark, mm -hmm. and it's just he looks so menacing there. He just seems sketchy. It's great. Like they communicate so much with so little in that shot. Um. Parker and Brett are really concerned about getting their shares and they they're talking to Ripley about it and like they're in the bottom like the lower section of the ship and there's steam pouring in and it's really hard for them to talk and they're like shouting over each other she gets frustrated and walks away and then they're it's kind of uh Parker like shuts a valve off and they're just fucking with her yeah the steam is gone <laughs> the steam goes away I never I didn't get that for the longest time and I really enjoyed No I didn't either I enjoyed that this time um, yeah. And so, yeah, as far as I can tell, Ripley is just like, um, she's just an officer. So, okay. you know, she's essentially on board to be in charge. She is the captain while, uh, Kane and Dallas are off ship, which off com ship. comes into play soon. Totally. Uh, so then she starts running th that transmission through e ECIU. I don't know what that means, but she's kind of interpreting mm -hmm. it, um, translating it. She puts her feet up on the console. She's got this fucking dope. Um, Converse All Stars, like those white seventies All Stars. <laughs> yeah, they're so cool. Her, I love. Um, they differentiate her costume with everybody else is kind of wearing like white, mm -hmm. and she's wearing like that dark coverall, like uh, light. Uh, sorry, dark green. Yeah, coverall with like the with these cool high tops. Great, great uh, costuming in this movie. <clears throat> Dallas and company are walking on the surface. We see that crashed ship. It looks like a this like crescent crescent shaped spacecraft, which we later see in Prometheus. Um, the derelict ship, I guess, is what you what they refer to it as. Mm -hmm. Even Ash is like, I've never seen anything like that. Um, inside of the ship looks cool. It's like this organic look. Yeah, it's all dark. It's like black, but it's organic. Like it almost looks like the surface of a brain or something. Yeah, the ship is was designed to appear. What do they call it? I think biomechanical, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And that is supposed to be in stark contrast to the Nostromo, which is very analog, technological, like mechanical. And this is supposed to, you know, it should almost give the impression of like, is the ship alive or was it alive at some point like it's kind of hard to tell you know 
It is hard to tell. A lot of the internal structure has the appearance of bone, I think, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, then they get to that big cha- chamber where that the space jockey, the pilot, the giant mm-hmm. skeleton, I mean, like, <clears throat> proportionally, he's so much larger than the humans. Yeah. Which is terrifying to me. Yeah. His skeletal structure looks really interesting. I couldn't tell. Does he have a face hugger on his face? Like, I believe so. Here's this. This is, I think, where like the, you know, the canon as it has been dictated by Ridley Scott in recent years does a little bit of revising because I get the impression. So this is a Giger design. And Uh the first thing I'll say is I don't think that this was like explicitly determined at this point in time. Like Giger designed the skeleton of an alien that was supposed to look cool. Right. And was supposed to be a pilot in what is maybe the cockpit of this giant crazy ship. And I think my interpretation is that Giger designed him to look kind of like he has an almost like elephantine. That's what I have always. Right. Now, I think that Scott a little kind of retrofitted this a bit to make the plot elements of Prometheus work better. Okay. And and I think that he would like you to believe what you're saying, which is that that's actually like a more humanoid creature with a face hugger on it. Right. In the first, I guess I wouldn't have thought, I forgot that that was even part of Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I've watched this, I've thought like, oh, he just has like an elephant trunk or something. I think that's probably in 79 what the intention was. Okay. So they noticed that the, uh, his rib cage has exploded from the inside. Something Mm -hmm. burst out of him. And then Kane sees that lower chamber. And then so on the ship, Ripley's like, Ash, that transmission, it doesn't look like an SOS. It looks more like a warning. And she wants to go in there, wants to like get them off the mm-hmm. planet, get them out of there. But Ash talks her out of it. And then we cut to that great shot of Kane lowering himself down into this gigantic cavern. And it's really hot in there. It's like, yeah. it's like the goddamn tropics in here. I want to share a couple really quick things that I just love about this. So mm-hmm. they're really fast. The first one is because of the expense and the time it took to design the interior of this ship, this chamber and the cockpit above are the same set shot from a different angle and lit differently. But it's like, they only, this is an enormous set piece, right? And it's not 360 degrees. Obviously it's only like 180, maybe even less than that. And they're just shooting into it and they built it to rotate so they could shoot it from different angles. Right. That's cool. Which I think is extremely cool. The other amazing fact about this is that, so there's a very cool effect here. You're mentioning uh, like the temperature and there is this layer of fog or mist, right? That like yeah. sits at like maybe ankle level, the whole room and there and there's light. It's like egg level, yeah. Right? And there's like this almost like grid of light there. Do you know anything about the origin of this light? No. So... The uh, soundstage that they were shooting on was next to a stage being used by The Who. <laughs> and those, oh, wow. those lights are from The Who's stage show. So those, those are wow. lasers for a Who concert. 
that they use to do that effect. That's super cool. Yeah. So he, he gets down to the uh, bottom of the cavern. It's full of leathery eggs, as he describes it. And that layer of mist with that reacts when you touch it, that laser mm-hmm. light shining over it. And he falls down. He's, mm-hmm. I just want to say, I'm sorry, this, I get so excited. But he's, so he's narrating all of this, right? Because he's inside mm-hmm. his suit. And John Hurt's voice is so phenomenal. Like, oh, yeah, I think it's I mean, every you would even if you don't remember who John Hurt was, I think the second you hear him talking, it's like, oh, yeah, that guy. Right. And there's something so effective about having him essentially narrate all of this that makes it cooler and even scarier. And I just love it. It does a lot of heavy voice. lifting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he moves towards one of these eggs. And then, you know, after a long I'm, I'm abbreviating things here, obviously. The egg opens up, and it looks like the inside of it looks so cool. Mm-hmm. It looks like a raw chicken breast with like white veins. Yeah, it's like pulsing. A lot of it is real intest, uh, like stomach and intestines from animals. Oh, like, cool! There's a lot of practical stuff, and I, I mean, I also think bef- right before this, they also do some cool stuff with shining the light through it, and you can sort of see like the movement oh, yes. inside the egg, which always scared the that. shit yeah. out of me. Like that, yeah. You see, you see, like the face hugger. There's like a, you know, it's probably really glass, but it's mm-hmm. like a translucent uh, membrane on the right. egg, and you can see the face hugger like moving inside of it. And then he gets close to it. The face hugger pops up, attaches himself to the mask. Must have been a huge scare in theaters. Oh in God, the seventies yeah. when this was was this seventy nine? Is this seventy nine? Seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. So they carry him back to the ship. Ripley doesn't want to let him on because of quarantine. She's like, you know, who knows what they have. If we break quarantine, we could all die. She's right. hundred percent. 100% should wear a mask. She won't open it up. She should really double mask. She should really double mask. Trip, quadruple mask at this point. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was like, when they recommended wearing two masks, I'm like, we... You know how hard it is to get idiots to wear one mask <laughs> and now to be like, no, wear two masks. They they really um, should have released that with a with like a kind of note that was just like, this is for people who already wear masks. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just like if you already are a dick about this, just ignore this because you're just gonna yeah, make, you're only going to make fun of us. So this is just for the people who care. <laughs> this is just going to be another like, you know, log in the fire of your conspiracy theory. So <laughs> fuck off. Um, and then Dallas is pleading with them to get in. He's like, hey, if you're in my position, you do the same. But then Ash goes above her head, lets him in. Yeah. So then they're in the med bay. They cut open his helmet. That face hugger, hugger is on there good, man. It is right attached to his face. His tail is choking him around the neck. Yeah. Um, they try to pull a digit, like one of its finger, like leg fingers off. And it just tightens the cord around his neck even more. Yeah. So and they put him in a med pod, do a body scan. Sorry, you're, you're saying something? No, it's fine. It's just the, the design of this face hugger is so... I mean, for me, I was always even more creeped out by these things than the aliens themselves. Me too. Me too. Um, and there's something... This, it, this harkens to a line that Ash will deliver later in the movie that I don't want to spoil yet, because it's a fantastic line of dialogue that I suspect you will probably touch on. But, I hope so. This thing is so terrifying because 
it seems I mean, and this is a recurring theme of the of this franchise. It is engineered for this purpose yeah. that it like that it like it, it is perfectly designed to do this one fucked up thing yeah. Yeah, to yeah, like yeah, yeah. attach to someone's face and like wrap its fucking weird, creepy finger arms around your head. And yeah, there's something so terrifying about these designs and that's that gear tapped into that's just like yeah it's it's absolutely it because, serves one purpose yeah and it does that really well <laughs> yeah it is just really organic terror you know yeah so they they scan it they see that it has something down his throat and they assume that it's feeding oxygen to him we learn that's not exactly the case <laughs> and ash is like hey if we remove it it could kill him in Dallas. Like, well, we should take that risk. So they get these like laser cutters, slice one of its finger digit leg things. And we got acid blood, baby. Another terrifying. So scary. So scary. Especially so on a scary. spaceship. Yeah. You know? That thing just starts dripping and eating through the hull. They chase it down two levels, watch mm-hmm. it fall through the, the, Metal is like turning into fucking melted cheese. Yeah, and I and I'll say that uh, I've talked a lot about um, uh, we've talked a lot about Giger. There's another designer who worked on this too, named Ron Cobb, who did who had a, a ton of great ideas. And one of the ideas that he came up was with was this this idea of the acid blood because that's cool. And it's like a very deliberate choice because they essentially wanted to kind of find a way to make these creatures uh, impossible for the crew to kill with, you know, just conventional weapons, you know? Right. That, But they didn't want them to be invincible, but they also wanted it to be more of a, you know, a challenge, essentially. And it's just, and like, especially on, on the idea of a, having that on a spaceship, it's such a unique, just great idea. Yeah, it really is. So Ash is being sketchy in the lab. He's looking at samples under the microscope. Uh, oh, there was a cool, there's a funny moment where Dallas borrows a pen from Brett, Harry <laughs> Dean Stanton, and sticks it, sticks the the pen into the, it has an eraser, it looks like a pencil. Yeah, he calls it a pen. Uh, he sticks it into the acid and it kind of melts the tip. He's like, hey, here's your pen back. <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of looks at it and I think he throws it or something. Yeah, it's like smoking. Yeah. <laughs> So Ripley catches Ash looking at the uh, the microscope, and he explains like this this thing. You know, I'm not going to get into the explanation exactly, but basically, it's resistant to different environments. It converts it's it converts uh like its skin to silicone or something mm-hmm. to protect it from our atmosphere. It's a tough little son of a bitch, and you let him in. Ripley says. <laughs> And scolds him for breaking quarantine. Very, very reasonably points out that he is the science officer on this yeah. ship. And he is the one who chose to completely circumvent the rules that are in place to prevent, you know, for quarantine. So, yeah. What do you th- I, I guess it's explained about like what what why do they want these aliens so badly? Well, what I'll say is that the franchise will go on to provide lots of reasons for this. Mm-hmm. I actually really love that this movie keeps it vague. Uh, I like that, too. 
because it lets you draw your own conclusions. But the one thing that most of us working stiffs can immediately jump to is just like, well, it's a large corporation, so they're fucking evil and they don't care about any people. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I assume. Yeah, does does someone actually mention weaponization at some point later in the movie? I don't think in this one. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I feel like maybe somebody throws off the weapons division or something, but maybe that's... Maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But either way, that's kind of... That was always my assumption, and I think that that is supported largely later on in the in the series, but, you know. It's funny. I hate to keep bringing this movie up. Mm. It is funny how much Jason X steals from this. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's like the main thrust of that is like, oh, we need... Uh-huh. Jason for our big corporation. Yeah. Ugh. Which makes me want to reevaluate that movie. <laughs> that movie's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that movie, that movie sucks. is so bad. <laughs> I was talking uh, to my I was talking to my neighbor about Friday the thirteenth movies uh the other day and, and he was like, Yeah, he mentioned how bad Jason X was, and I was like, Yeah, that movie's absolute trash. And then he uh immediately pivoted to talking about how he kind of likes Jason Takes Manhattan and I had to zip it up fast and just be like, <laughs> cool, I'm glad you like it. Uh just like because we were talking about a bunch of movies. We agreed on everything else. And then J- and then Jason takes Manhattan came up and I was like, uh agree to disagree. If I remember correctly, I think I like Jason Take Man takes Manhattan more than you, but still it's not good. What did we say was the worst one? Was it Jason X? I think so. It was Jason X, 3D, and Manhattan were the bottom three. That's what I know. Okay. For sure. Okay. And then I think yeah, that five. Checks out. Yeah. Anyways, I'll go back and I'll listen to the podcast. Double check. Yeah, listen. Um, so Dallas is like in his chambers listening to classical music. Ash buzzes him. Come look at Kane. Something's happened. So they uh, he goes into the lab. The facehugger's gone now. He's still in his coma. But they search the room for it. And it's really it's a tense scene where they're like poking around the room trying to find this thing. Then after a bit, it drops onto Ripley's back. Big scare, mm-hmm. but it's dead. It's yeah. actually just dead. Uh, they examine it. Really gross. You get to the, see like the the thing that attaches to your face looks yeah. disgusting. Again, some some well used actual animal parts here. That makes sense because it's like it's too. It looks too organic to be anything else and it's like yeah yeah it's like some livers and hearts and stuff that that's what it looks like yeah. yeah so ripley wants to get rid of it uh but ash is like no we have to bring it back to examine it so he wants to keep it ash and ripley argue about it and then ash has the final word on the science stuff because he's you know he's a science officer that's what the company wants mm-hmm. and then ripley just straight up says like she doesn't trust him so they blast off the planet. Lambert says they have about 10 months left to get to Earth. And then Ash buzzes Dallas once more. Hey, Kane's awake. They go see him. He's like, he feel, I, I feel good, I guess. I He's know, thirsty. Know he, says. he drinks a lot He's of thirsty. water. Yeah. Uh, and then he wants to eat before they all have to get back in stasis. So here we go. We get the, the literally the most famous scene in the entire series, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was. I think there was, it was AFI or AMC or some somebody did a list that I saw. I came across it on like Wikipedia or something, but it was just like like most horrifying or like most memorable R rated scenes in movie history, and this was the one that won. 
This was literally. Oh yeah. I mean, this was number one of all of all motion picture. <laughs> with great reason. I mean, this there must have been a ton of improv- improvisation in this scene mm-hmm. because they're all just having dinner. They're shooting the shit. People yeah. are laughing. They're talking about how bad the food is. First thing I'm going to do when I get back is get some decent food. I can't do a British accent. I'm not, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> um, and then Kane starts like choking, freaking out. They lay him on his back. He's like spasming. He's doing such a great job with the physical work. Yeah. Vocal too. He's these guttural kind of sounds that he makes. It's really terrifying. Yeah. And then his blood bursts out of his chest. Everybody, I, I've heard a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll see what happens, and uh, then we can get into like, yeah. the making of this. Then the alien, ba- the baby alien, bursts out of his chest, kind of looks around the room, scans the room. Yeah. Parker wants to stab it with a knife, but Ash stops him, and then it just like scoots off. <laughs> really funny. It's a little like, tail slide. Yeah. Uh, parodied quite well in Spaceballs. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hello, Mahani. Hello, <laughs> um, yeah. Let's talk about a couple things before we get let's to talk about the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get to what you were going to say, just like when it first comes out of the chest, like it is fully a dick, right? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. It look, it's like flesh colored. Shaped like a dick. My dick looks like it. It has teeth. It has beady little eyes that are, you know, you'd think are blind, but they can see. It's not just echolocation. No, no, no. It clicks. (laughs) Oh, God. That's horrifying. I mean, it's because it's been brought up in the dark. (laughs) I was born in the darkness. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, so I think you were alluding to how much did the cast, how much of this was a surprise to the cast members when they were shooting, right? Yeah. These are I mean, the of, big story is that yeah. they didn't, they were not led into the full of like what the full effect of this, this thing would be. Mm-hmm. And so it was a surprise for them when, I don't know what part of it was a surprise, but it was a surprise. Yeah. So what i was able to to discern was that anybody who who says that the cast didn't know what was going to happen they're kind of telling tall tales what sure. what seems to be true is that most of the cast did not really know how any of the effect was going to work like okay they knew what this scene was but they hadn't seen it done before okay um, and particularly Veronica Cartwright was in the line of fire, like all a front row at a Gallagher show <laughs> and, and got sprayed with so much fake blood that she was not prepared for that. She stumbled backwards and like tripped over some cords and like fell over and like that's in the behind the scenes and stuff. And like, you know, so her like kind of shocked screams are, are somewhat real just in terms of like she she got sprayed in the face with a bunch of fake blood that she was not prepared for um but yeah i think in terms of like people what would like to believe that it's like no one knew what was going to happen but it's like they knew this was the chest burster scene but none of them had seen um the effect actually performed before well i can sympathize with veronica cartwright i think i am a uh similar caliber of actor to Mm -hmm. her as well Yeah. yeah 
because as you recall, as you probably recall, if you listen to this podcast, I was sprayed in the face with fake blood, mint flavored fake blood, <laughs> uh, for my role as sex piss yeah. in the hit uh, comedy. It's not really a horror comedy, hit comedy. Uh, another Yeti love story, Life on the Streets, available on Tubi. Uh, I co-directed it, co-wrote it. I'm in it. You guys should watch it. Let me know what you think. I'm also in and, it, Eric. You can mention. Uh, n- well, you're no. I, I mean, this is all about me, baby. All right. Uh, I got sprayed in the face, and I didn't. I didn't want to flinch, and so I left my eyes open and got sprayed right directly in the eyes with mint flavored. <laughs> Um, like menthol blood that hurt so bad I had to s- take a break for about a half an hour after and my contacts were stained red. You reap what so, you sow. Ridley Scott, I'm available. I'll, <laughs> I'll do dumb shit for you. You know, even though I made fun yeah. of your last like five movies. Yeah. I think there's still <laughs> supposed to be one more link in the chain between Alien Covenant and wrapping back around to this film. Well, hey, I'll I'll do it, man. I'll do it. Okay. Chest burst right all over me, baby. Burst on my <laughs> chest, buddy. <laughs> so they, there's a funeral for uh, for Kane. They no one really says anything, and they shoot him out of the airlock. Kind of flips through space in a funny way <laughs> that made <laughs> Jess laugh. It's a very unceremonial end for a character that I liked a lot. Oh, totally. So the aliens in the ship now they have to deal with it. Brett shows him this like souped up cattle prod thing that he has. There's also like a GPS tracker uh, and a detector that can, that can detect like changes in air pressure. So they're walking around the ship looking for the alien. Uh, Parker, Brett and Ripley are all together. The lights kind of flicker, go on and off. And then the sensor detects something. It's like behind a supply crate. So they open it up. Jump scare, it's a cat. Classic slasher movie, cat jump scare. Classic. Uh, uh, it establishes earlier that there's a cat on the ship when they're all waking up. You like see a quick shot of the cat. Jones. Um, so the cat runs off. Parker and Brett run after it. They're chasing the cat around. And then Brett bends over and finds like the xenomorph shed skin. So the thing is growing now. We see it's like a has like skin like a snake. Mm-hmm. I always this love a, that too. Yeah, it's creepy. This is a funny little moment where Harry Dean Stanton as Brett is walking around and there's like some water dripping from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. He just straight up like sticks his face in it, just enjoys the drip of whatever. Yeah. What the fuck is in that pipe that's dripping on him? That well, that's it. Kenda, that. Kenda said the same thing. And I was like, you know what? For some reason, it feels very natural to me. And in my head, I was like, I think that this is artificial rain, essentially. That like, because uh-huh. this is a phenomenon that, that, that exists even like, you know, I think in like domes and stuff, you know, like botanical domes and that sort of thing. But it's like in, a, in an enclosed ecosystem, you still have that cycle of like condensation forming oh, and then sure, falling. Yeah. So I think in my head... For as long as I can remember, this has always been like, I mean, it's essentially like spaceship rain. Like, that's what it is. And so I love this shot because, and this is something we haven't mentioned yet, but I think is totally worth calling out, is that one of the great strengths of this movie is in the way that it takes its time. Like, 
you know, how far in are we now? We're like an hour, hour and 15 into this yeah, movie. Yeah. You know, it, th th that was something I talked about earlier. It does take its time. Like all of these things are happening, but it takes, it takes a while for these, but it's not like in a boring way. No. So much tension. Building. Yeah. So much tension. And this is, to me, this is one of the strongest tension building moments in the movie because it's like, yeah. I mean, I know he's about to get it. Like I've seen this movie more than enough times to know that. But it's like, even if you haven't, I think any relatively intelligent moviegoer watching this is like, yeah, they sent him out on his own, the aliens out there. Like, this is going to be the first kill, right? And right. So this, this luxury, the movie luxuriates in this pause. It's like a, it's like a 20, 30 second shot where mm -hmm. he is just, yeah, takes his hat off and puts his face up to the, to the artificial rain and, you know, drinks a little and, Man, I just, something about it just works really well for me. Uh, so he finds the cat in the corner and it, like hisses at him. He thinks it's hissing at him, but it's really it's hissing at the xenomorph, which drops down behind him. He turns, it opens its mouth. It's the first time we see its inner mouth, which pops out, pops into his head, and then we get this great shot of like the cat just watching it all. Mm -hmm. It's like a really fun POV shot. Not a POV, but you see the cat's eyes as like all this shit's happening. Yeah. And this to me, very, I just very recently watched Blade Runner, which is Ridley Scott's mm -hmm. other masterpiece. Uh, yeah. It's, it's funny. I was just, th I was thinking before, before the podcast, I was looking at his filmography and I was like, I think I only really like, I mean, I like other Ridley Scott mm -hmm. movies. But I think this and Blade Runner are his two masterpieces. I think that's, yeah, I think that's right. Um, and there's a very similar shot in that one as well um, with this replicant owl um, yeah. that, again, what is similarly watches a, a murder take place, essentially. And it's like, I, yeah. I, it almost feels like an Easter egg callback. Is that in the office? Yeah. In like the, uh, yeah. And then like the office tower when, um, when Rutger Hauer's character goes to meet his maker, right? And then... Mm -hmm. stabs his eyes out with his thumbs. Yeah. Cool. It just cuts to the owl watching. So the alien brings his body up into the cooling duct. Uh, so Dallas decides he's going to go into the ducts. Ripley's going to walk him through it. They're watching him on a very, very low tech tracker, which is essentially just the dot on a grid. He's got a flamethrower. and tells Ripley to like close all the hatches behind him as he goes. Um, and then, you know, a, a very long sequence, not very long, a long sequence of him going through the ducks looks mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Tensions building. Super claustrophobic. Lambert's like very claustrophobic. Uh, Lambert's like Dallas stand still. We lost your signal. And he notices there's some slime on the ground and suddenly the aliens blip pops on the screen. I may have missed how they're detecting the alien. Is that GPS thing? Uh, or is just is that tracker? I guess it's it's probably the, tracker. the tracker. I think it's just a little bit of a MacGuffin-y type, like, hey, just yeah. go with it. This thing works, okay. <laughs> and then um, she she starts detecting it. She's like, hey, it's it's coming at you. It's coming at you. Suddenly, she's like freaking out. Move! You got to get out of there. It pops out, opens its arms. They lose signal on on Dallas. He's gone. Yeah, it's a great jump scare because again, it's like. You know, it 
This is something that I think that Cameron comes back to for a number of solid scares in Aliens, but it's that the use of the flashlight, right, that Dallas has, where it's like, what was darkness? He flips his flashlight around to just for a split second illuminate that terrifying alien. And so another thing worth mentioning, you know, something we joke about a lot, gets mentioned a lot with Jaws, right? But something that this movie does really well is he doesn't go overboard with showing the alien. Um, no. It's dribs and drabs, it's little flashes, and it keeps the whole thing much, much scarier. I totally... Somehow, some formatting thing happened on mm. my notes where <laughs> my next paragraph is the thing that happened before, which is Dallas uh, in Mother, like, asking, like, hey, what are my chances? And she's like, does not compute. Can right. The alien? Does not compute. Somehow it got pushed below like that sequence, but whatever. It's a fairly inconsequential scene. Yeah. They're looking at blueprint blueprints. Um, and then Ash, I think this is what the line you were talking about. Maybe mm-hmm. Ash is talking about how impressed he is by how well it's adapted to its atmospheric conditions. Maybe it's later actually. Um, they found Dallas's flamethrower, but no sign of him. Ripley wants to continue his plan. And then Lambert wants to abort, the, abandon the ship and take the shuttle, get out of there. Unfortunately, the shuttle can only take four people. Um, so Ripley and Parker argue about it. She wants to kill it. Um, and she asks Ash if he or Mother has any uh, any suggestions on how to proceed. And he kind of like, no, nah, we're still we're still collating. I think it's, I think he says collating. Mm-hmm. So like calculating what what the, what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is somewhere in this scene. I, I found the Ash quote. Um, Cause what does she say? She says she, she kind of calls him out and she's like, you admire or Lambert says, yeah. To him, yeah. Like you admire it. Don't you? Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, Oh wait, does that happens later? Yeah. This happens later after Dallas bites. Dallas just died. Right. Dallas just died. Okay, yeah. so did we cover with you were talking about Ripley going into Mother? Then I'm about to. Okay, yeah. yeah. So she goes right to Mother for that. answers. She gets stonewalled. Like she's that type again. Like questions. Mm. She keeps getting stonewalled. And eventually, it's like for science officers only. Then she sees the orders that a- the Ash has, mm-hmm. which is to go to the planet, get the sample, ensure its return, the of the organism, and all the crews expendable. Yeah. So then Ash is like, he pops out of nowhere. Well, there's an explanation for this. He's right there. She roughs him up a bit. And she's like, you know, yells at him, leaves, and tries to call Parker and Lambert, but the communications aren't working. He starts closing the doors on her. Anytime she tries to leave the room, closes the doors. Mm -hmm. And we see there's like white liquid dripping from his head. Yeah, and it just looks like beads of sweat running down his forehead at first, and it's so fucking creepy. It's so creepy. That's something that really more than anything in this movie, that disturbed me when I first saw this movie. It was just like Ash's guts. Yeah. So white liquid's coming from his head. He attacks her, pulls like straight up pulls her hair out, slams her around, rolls up a magazine. It's a porno magazine. Oh, it's a porno magazine? Yeah, I missed that. more of the sex stuff, man. And also, I mean, Ash is full of jizz, basically. Yeah, he's <laughs> full of jizz. It really is. Um, rams it down, tries to jam it down her throat to kill her. One could argue Park- that this is also, you know, sexual imagery, rape imagery, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. 
uh, Parker and Lambert are there. They try to stop him. He grabs, he like kind of just like grabs Parker's like peck and squeezes it. So we get the sense now that he's like strong. He's stronger yeah. than he should Parker be. Parker starts screaming from, yeah. from the pain. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then he gets hit with a fire extinguisher and starts like freaking out and like spitting white stuff. Just totally spasming. Par- <laughs> total spasming, like flailing around. Parker knocks his head off. It's, it's like hanging by a thread. It's so cool. It looks. Uh, so another famous sort of apocryphal story about this movie is that an usher fainted during the chestburster scene. Oh, wow. Um, and that is false because an usher did faint during this movie, but it was during this scene when really? Ash's head gets knocked off because it is a fucking great practical effect. Yeah. Because they really, really he really hits it full force with a fucking fire extinguisher. Like, yeah. It's a prosthetic head, but he like fully knocks it off his shoulders. It looks awesome. Uh, so then we see, oh, he's a fucking android. It looks awesome. Always scared me. Mm-hmm. The body's swinging around. The head's just kind of like like flopping off. Uh, and he still attacks Parker. And then Lambert shocks him with the with the cattle prod thing. Yeah. So then they uh they like activate just his head. Yeah, and this is such a great scene just Mm -hmm. like you mentioned his guts but like all of the effects for this and like this is something that comes back in i want to say alien 3 they do sort of a callback to this but like it's such a visceral gross thing but it's done so well and the sound design is so good like the effect Mm -hmm. that they put on his voice to kind of make it more digital but also sort of gurgly because there's yeah. all this fucking liquid everywhere. Um, and I also wanted to say that it's just a stroke of genius for this movie that this is the moment when they alert us to the fact that there are androids in this universe. Yes. Yeah. It's right? not. It's never established before yeah. that there are androids in this universe. And now here we like, and, but they're, they're surprised that he is one, but right. they're not surprised at the existence of androids. Right. Um, so they activate his head because they want they think that he might know how to kill it, the alien. And they ask him what's his special order to bring back life form, priority one. All other priorities are rescinded. Um and he's like, You can't kill it, it's a perfect organism. And that's when Lambert's like, You you admire it, don't you? Yeah, and this is the line he says. He's like, You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? The perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and he says he Um, admires its purity, a survivor unclouded by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. Then he's like, "I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies." (laughs) (laughs) Parker torches him. Yeah. So Ripley gets the shuttle ready because now there's only three of them, and then Lambert and Parker go to get like air i think like supplemental oxygen mm-hmm. or something and then they'll meet in seven minutes uh ripley's looking around for jones the cat and then she finally finds it puts it in its little carrier yeah I mean, this is some real classic horror movie stuff never split up the group at this point no never split up the group yeah also i love cats i love animals i would maybe leave the cat i will say i mean you know small spoiler she finally does at one point like credit 
uh, Kenna didn't enjoy it, but I was like, in a couple a couple scenes from now, she finally does leave the cat on the ground to save yeah. her own ass. It's like, yeah, that's the right move. Yeah. Uh, the alien comes up behind Lambert, and like, we, it's a really cool shot where we see its shadow fall on her. Mm-hmm. It's big and wet, just dripping. <laughs> just a slimy, Ripley. slimy dick with a vagina mouth that has a penis yeah. inside it. <laughs> <laughs> Ripley can like hear all of this through like the communications, like the struggling. Parker tries to tackle it. It grabs him. It kills him. Um, it, it's hard to tell how it kills him, but I think like punches into his chest or his his head or something. Mm-hmm. Like it's uh it's mouth. Yeah, it uses its second mouth penis. Yeah. Then it's talon like talon tail. It's like a tail. Like a skeletal tail with like a talon on the end of it, mm-hmm. kind of like creeps up the back of Lambert's legs, like almost implying that's gonna spear her in her in her vagina. Yeah. At least that's what I took from it. Uh, Ripley hears her scream, and then she finds she runs into the room and finds all of their body, like finds her bodies. They're all fucked up. You can't really see what they. It just looks unnatural. Whatever position yeah. they're in looks fucked up. So she activates the emergency destruct system, which is super cool. Fucking I love the way this thing looks. Like it has like these four like telescoping like towers that she pulls up and like opens up a panel. Yeah. It flips a it flips like a a, a switch inside of them. Yeah. It looks super cool. This has gotta be a production designer's dream, just like a movie oh, like yeah. this, right? It's so fucking cool. And there's like all sorts of moving shit. Like people had to design like actual working machines for this ship it's just it all feels great yeah so she has to get to the shuttle but the alien is blocking her way there's a countdown happening um so the alien's blocking her way so she can't get there it's about to blow she has to run back there deactivate the the self-destruct or else she's gonna get fucking blown up uh but it won't stop I was a little confused as to like it. Re- it kind of like ends up resetting the counts. I don't, I can't no, it why. doesn't reset. It's so when she first starts it, it's a ten minute count, and it announces very specifically it's like five minutes until like the auto destruct can't be canceled. Basically, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. I missed that. Um, there's really cool strobe effects as she's like making her way through the tunnels. She gets the cat. She's really throwing that cat carrier around, like all willy nilly. <laughs> what are you, you going to do? You know, there's one minute left. Gets to the shuttle with only seconds to go. Blasts off. We see the ship blow. End of movie. Roll credits. Just kidding. We get a moment to relax. The, she gets a cat out. Opens up the stasis pod. Puts a cat in. It's my favorite scene, maybe. <laughs> no, not really. She undresses herself <laughs> in those tiny, tiny, tiny under under the under, tiniest under, of underwears. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this is like uh, kind of. I mean, let's. Do you want to talk about this for just two seconds? Because yeah, like, I was gonna say, like it works. It works story wise because now she is the most vulnerable she could ever be. Yeah. Yeah. But what were you going to say? Well, and I was just going to say, I think famously, James Cameron, director of Aliens, right? Uh, who uh, Another person who had a huge impact on this series, but not, not, not so much as Ridley Scott. 
famously said in an interview that that he thinks that this uh, crosses the line in terms of sexualizing this character. Think um, so? Really? I don't know that I agree with him. Um, yeah. In fact, I would say that I don't really disagree, or I don't really agree. Um, yeah. But I mean, I get what he's, you know, what he's, what he's raging against, like objectification of women in movies, is of, of course I think something worth mm-hmm. fighting against. However, like this doesn't feel so sexual to me so much as it feels like an illustration of vulnerability, kind of like you're saying. Yeah, that's the way I take it. I think just it's inherently sexy because Sigourney Weaver is very sexy. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, she could be wearing like a baggy sweater and it'd still be kind of hot. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I see what he's saying. I mean, I and it's funny. Com- it's funny coming from, I was thinking about Cameron's movies as you were saying that it's like, I guess a lot of them are kind of sexless in a way. I mean, except Cam- for like true lies. Yeah. Cameron, I will give Cameron credit. He's pretty good about, but I think you're right. It's like, he's very good about not overly sexualizing his female characters, but almost to a detriment sometimes where yeah. he just makes all of his characters kind of sexless. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously like he is the one who took Ripley, like he, he certainly furthers the strengthening of her character with what he does in aliens. Right. Right. Which, which makes sense having gone through this experience that she would be tougher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and you see more of that in like Terminator is the other place you obviously see that like, like uh, Sarah Connor goes on a very similar character journey. Totally. Um, She, it's funny watch having, I watched Terminator two first before I saw one mm -hmm. just because of how old I was when it came out. Right. Um, and I was like shocked by how not uh, she, Sarah Connor in part one is not a tough guy at all. Right. She's super tough and badass in part two. And I was kind of shocked by her character just kind of being a waitress. She's just Mm -hmm. a waitress. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're digressing on an already lengthy episode. Um, so she starts like fucking typing some shit into the computer. This really, it's a brilliant shot. Yeah. Cause you don't notice that the alien's head is directly in front of her. Mm-hmm. It's like hidden. She's like, it's like in, in some cracks or something. Yeah. And then it moves and like reaches kind of like absentmindedly reaches an arm out. I don't think it's trying to grab her. I think yeah. it, it's, it's almost like it's sleeping or something. It's pretty unaware. I think. Yeah. And I spent, cause I know this shot now. Right. And I spent the mm-hmm. whole time trying to figure out where the focus was and whether or not this was maybe some sort of split diopter kind of situation mm-hmm. or what though, because it's like ostensibly, like you said, the focus is supposed to be on Ripley typing away at this, at this terminal. But like the, educated viewer now knows that really right behind her is the thing that we want to be paying attention to. And it's, right. it's a great shot and it's, is very it like a creepy. rack focus or, or a I split th- diopter? I, if, if okay. viewers don't or listeners don't know is like a, a trick lens that has two different focal lengths. So you can have two different things on two di- on different uh, distances that are both in focus. Yeah. You'll see it a lot. They, they, where like somebody will be like, you'll see like their eye very much in focus, and then you'll see the thing behind them. Yeah, De Palma loves that, right? That's yeah, thing. yeah. 
Um, I think it's just Iraq focus. I think it's just like it is on. I think they're close enough that it's not super like it's the the depth of field is gracious enough that it's like it's not a big rack. It's just like it kind of goes a little bit <laughs> similar <laughs> to Sigourney, we're talking Weaver. About Sigourney yeah. Weaver again. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, she's got a lot of strengths. Big rack. Not one of them. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyways. Then we try to start we, we like sound smart for a second. It's like, oh yeah, we went we know what we're talking about. Then we're just talking about boobs. Just again. a couple of <laughs> sleazy horn dogs. Um Well, if it makes you guys feel better, Eric and I are both disgusted by ourselves. So Yeah, absolutely. On a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the alien reaches out for her, then she uh it was hiding on the shuttle. She kinda she stumbles back, hides into this like closet area. Gets into a spacesuit and then starts like flushing gas out to try to get it out, like venting gas to flush the alien out. Yeah. And it just, and then, we talk about time and taking your time and just like what, what's unfolding here is so tense and so patient. Like she, like, it's almost, it, it has almost the feeling of being like in, it's like VR in a video game to me where it's like we're almost with her through the entire process of hiding in the closet and putting yeah. the spacesuit on and then creeping out and constantly looking at the alien. Like there's no, there's almost no skipping ahead here. It's like such a, te- every move she makes, you know, is like creeping yeah. around. It's great. Yeah. She steps into the spacesuit. She zips it up. She puts the helmet on. Like you're just with her through it all. Mm-hmm. And so the, she flushes the alien out and she kind of is meanwhile strapping herself into a seat. Um, and then it approaches her and then right before it grabs her, she pops the airlock, blasts the alien out. Is there something else you want to say? No, no, no. Oh, you, you opened your mouth. I thought you were, she blasts the alien out the airlock airlock. That was my new England accent coming through right there. (laughs) It grabs like the sides of the door. So it's not, not even, you know, it, it won't come out. And then finally, um, she has the harpoon gun that she loaded. Yeah, she has the harpoon gun. Yeah, that. Um, so she shoots it with the grappling hook. It hits it. It's like tethered to the shuttle, and then she puts her. Then she turns on the engine, and the exhaust blasts the alien. Kind of like fries it and shoots it off into space. Yeah, it's a crazy shot. It's an interesting effect. It's one of the only ones in the entire movie that doesn't work for me. Um, it looks a little silly, right? Well, because what they do is like, so there's like a, there's like a plate in front of the camera lens. Right. And so it's like the alien is in theory disintegrating in the mm-hmm. blast from the jet. And then like, that's all splashing against the camera, but mm-hmm. it just, it's just water. So it just looks like water. So it doesn't really make mm-hmm. sense to me. And yeah, see, I actually didn't realize that's what it was supposed to be. I thought it was like some sort of, uh, fuel burn off or something from the 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 jets maybe it is maybe if that's what it's supposed to be then maybe i feel a little bit better about it i mean it's definitely a crazy shot it's just it always kind of jarred me a little bit yeah so so sometimes what i was saying with the silliness uh, this is something they changed at like last minute Mm -hmm. there was a time when the alien was a person i mean it is a person in a suit but it was a little more human looking right it looks silly and I think the alien looks a little bit silly in this last full final body. Moments. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to the jaws conversation, right? Where it's like, 
these moments when we see the entire alien in a wide shot don't work as well. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, too, is like this ending uh, was shot during post-production. The original Ooh. ending that that Ridley Scott wanted was going to have the alien sneaking on board the shuttle, biting Ripley's head off. Jesus. And then assuming her voice to like to like record the journal entry which really yeah which one i think would have felt kind of cheesy yeah uh the studio thought it was way too dark which they're probably right about that too but then the other thing is that it's like leaving ripley alive is obviously such a great boon for the series um yeah and the sequels but also it's there there are some other things like that too there's some then uh, the director's cut that exists there's a couple deleted scenes, and I think for the story, the most notable ones uh, are we see Dallas and I think Lambert essentially cocooned and still alive at one oh, point, yeah. which is supposed to essentially set up that this is how the cycle of reproduction continues. Oh, my God. So I don't feel as crazy anymore because I think I saw that deleted scene mm-hmm. on like a DVD or something yeah. that I had. And because I was kind of waiting for it the whole time, but then, I, like I said before, before I start watching this movie, I get parts of aliens confusing mm-hmm. alien. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, I guess that's probably that's just an aliens. And there is a scene uh, like that in Aliens. That yeah, is part of and, the and that's what I was thinking cut. of. But yeah. I was like, no, there is a scene that I saw that was deleted that is Dallas and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I don't ag- feel crazy anymore. No, you're not crazy. And again, it's a choice that I think for the purposes of the franchise worked out great because if this singular alien recreates eggs basically to to prolong the reproductive system or, you know, process, then it takes away from a, the building of the mythology that we're going to get in aliens, mm-hmm. you know. So uh so she, then she makes her final Log entry places Jones and herself into a stasis pod for the trip back to Earth. And that's it. That's the end of the movie. All right. Great. So uh, as far as body count. What's that? (laughs) Great fucking flick. Great fucking movie. As far as body counts go, we got uh, Kane dying to the chest burster alien. Brett uh, gets punctured with a second mouth to the dome. Dallas in the vent don't really see what happens to him ash the android gets his head knocked off parker and lambert get dispatched what is your favorite death in this movie um i'm gonna go i mean i think it's 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 one obvious i think it's one two so i'm gonna leave the big one for you and i'm gonna say that that i actually really love ash's death scene um, yeah, me too. I think his head getting knocked off. You heard me ra- rave about it. It's fucking great. It's a great effect. It's really shocking. Yeah, Kenda actually like yelped out loud when his head got knocked off. Um, oh wow! And the gore and all the jizz everywhere is just it. It's great. I love it. So <laughs> that'll be my pick. What would you pick, Eric? Uh, you know, and I think I have to go with what the uh, may have been either AMC or AFI <laughs> said was the best R-rated sequence of all time or whatever. <laughs> it's the chest bursting. It's fucking great. It's, yeah. it's It appears on all these, like, you know, best scenes of all time lists for a, a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shocking. Still looks great. Holds up. Um. All right. So how scary is this movie? We like to rate how scary these movies are against the 
filmography of Wes Craven. <laughs> We're super this is fucking weird. This is a hard one, man. It is. And also, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> this is way scarier than anything Wes Craven ever did, I think. <laughs> I love Wes Craven. Yeah. Well, I mean, with that in mind, I think that it maybe has to be the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I think so. Because is that, is that in your mind, is that the top of the Craven scale? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. And I think that this movie yeah. deserves to be at the top of whatever scale we're using. Because this movie is full of tense dread. It has big scares. It has like existentially threatening penis and vagina imagery. It's, it's, yeah. it has <laughs> any way you want to be made yeah. scared or uncomfortable in a film. This, this movie is doing it. Absolutely. And then finally, um, Mary fuck kill. I mean, there's no way to, no reason to tease this out. This is an absolute Mary for me. It's a great movie. Yeah. I love it. Marry me alien. Please. marry me yeah i mean this is i'm i'm very i'm so glad we got to cover this and i'm also so excited for this series because as good as this movie is you know next week we're gonna talk about a movie that is frequently you know bandied about as like is this the the rare sequel that's better than the original yeah and you know right now no way but yeah, it's been a while since I watched Aliens, and I fucking love Aliens. Me too. So, I, I, you know, it's usually the one I've seen last is my favorite one. Yeah, but I think I'm more of an Alien boy than Aliens. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, man. Next week's gonna be. It's gonna be a real. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy. Well, and I mean, you know, in the weeks to come, as we have to canonically rank this series. So I, I so I can't wait. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. So we we're going a bit long. This is a this is a bit of a long one. Yeah. Uh, should we f- forego a third segment? I mean, or- we we could we could theoretically, yeah. If you feel like that's fair to our audience. Well, I don't know. I mean, this is an <laughs> off-air conversation, I guess. <laughs> or is it an on-air conversation? Or is it that's I, I don't know. How are you feeling? You want to you, you want to do me. another segment? Um. Do I want to do another segment? What are we at? We're at we're one, at almost two hours. We're at almost two hours right now. Um, you know what? Let's wrap it up here. And, okay, and we can I leave this wise. in. We can we can let our audience see how the sausage is made. These are the kinds of conversations that Eric and I have. Uh, you know, in real life, we don't really like to have these episodes go over two hours. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. Well, so then uh, if you want to write to us, you can do so at killstreakpod at gmail.com or on Instagram or Twitter at killstreakpod. Mm. Uh, please rate and review us on iTunes. We'd really love that. And if you know somebody who might like this podcast, please share it with them. Yeah, word of mouth uh, works great. This might be the first episode that you're joining us on because, you know, it's a pretty big series. Uh, go back through our back catalog. We have some other great series that we've covered. And you can hear some of these great third segments that we've done <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on shorter were, episodes. Yeah, and if I were you guys, I would I would turn back the clock and start right around Ginger Dead Man 2. I think that's where you really want to <laughs> jump into the pod. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Everybody knows those movies by heart. You don't even have to watch it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, so we will be back uh, next Monday. 
with aliens. And I think we called this out last week, but in case we didn't, if you ever had an incentive to sign up for HBO Max, if you haven't already, this is it. Every single movie we will cover for this entire franchise is currently streaming on HBO Max. Um, and so that is where I will be watching them. And I will give a shout out to the to the platform because additionally, it seems to be carrying the director's cuts of all of these mm-hmm. films as well. So I, Eric, I'm going to make clear my intention to watch the director's cut of Aliens this week. Okay, of Aliens. Yeah. Um, I might do the same because I've seen that movie a few times. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I might do that. Uh, yeah. I'm very, very torn about Alien 3 because I haven't seen Alien 3 in over a decade, yeah. if not longer. I think... So I feel like I, I should watch the theatrical cut. I think that. that's right. I think we could split that one because okay. I have seen the theatrical cut enough times that um, I'll, I'll be comfortable talking you know, about it. And and I can just weigh in on maybe what the subtle differences are in the uh, assembly cut. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, it sounds great, guys. And as always, first thing I'm going to do when I get back is get some decent food. <laughs>